0: Okay. If, if you know me, you probably already know what I'm gonna say. That.
1: Uh,
0: all right. So, yeah, it's it's Jesus. It's simple. No, that's what I, what I'm gonna say is. If you know me, you know what I'm gonna say is. It's Jesus. It's my answer to everything. Just about. All right. So. Jacob's ladder is what we're going to talk about. So we're going to get right into it. In chapter 28, um, we've come through all the intrigue of the family and all that, you know, stealing the blessing and all that. In verse 10, we're going to go through verse 10 and then go through 22. And parts of it we're going to get to read through quickly, so it won't take very long. We'll have time to discuss um, a few things about Jacob's ladder. Um, But Jacob, in verse 10... He is, it says, and Jacob went out from Beersheba. That's where the family is. Remember uh, Esau, uh, not Esau, but Isaac and uh, Rebecca have said, okay, we're sending Jacob on to Padan Aram. That's where they came from to find, you know, the, the impetus was he needs to find him a wife and we don't want him marrying the Canaanite women. Uh, so that's kind of why they're sending him. But we know in the background of everything, Mama is plotting that we are sending him because... We're sending him because Esau's going to kill him. Esau is angry with him for stealing the blessing, and so therefore we're going we're gonna, to... She wants to get him out of Dodge. Uh, so he is running for... He's running for his life, and this is kind of a... It's almost like an exile. He's not... Remember when... Uh, when I when Abraham sent the servant to find Isaac a wife, I'm getting all the names mixed up. The servant packed up his donkey and or whatever camels, and you know he was going on a trip to find this this brother. This is not the picture you get of Jacob. He's running. I mean, he's running for his life. He's he's trying to stay safe. He's trying to stay alive because Esau is going to kill him. And so he's running for his life. It's kind of an exile. And during this section, it's going to kind of be easy for you to start feeling sorry for Jacob a little bit but you got to remember this is his own fault he's running for his life from Esau because he was a deceiver because he lied because he did not believe the promise that God gave him he thought he had to steal it for himself he thought you know he tried to sin so that he could get uh, what God had told him and so at this point he is he is completely alone I mean, he's had to leave his family, he's had to leave everything, and he is headed to Laban's house. In verse 10, it says, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. Now, if you notice, uh, this is just a minor point, but if you notice up until this point, they've always called it Padan Haram. Uh, you know, we're going to send him to Aram. We're going to, you know, that's where it, I think that this is just me talking. So this may not be, this may not be the deal. But uh, I think that all of a sudden they switch and started start calling it Haran where he's going because that's the name that they used when he called Abraham out of Haran. Y'all with me? What you see in here is it's pretty interesting to me. It may not be interesting to you guys, but you're seeing a reversal. You see it he's taking the same route that Abraham took in reverse. He's going instead of Abraham was called out of Haran to the promised land instead of instead of that what you see is he's going from the promised land back to back to Haran and he's doing it alone, he's doing it frightened, he's doing it running for his life, he's doing it he's doing it uh, scared scared to death. And so uh, he's using it's it's almost like the promised seed is Moving in reverse. You know, the, the promise was given to Abraham. Abraham was called from Haran. Abraham went from Haran to the promised land. I mean the promised seed going to the promised land. And now you've got Jacob, the promised bearer, the promised seed, and he's going in the he's going in the opposite direction. He's coming from he's coming from uh, the promised land to Haran. And so you see it's kind of a it's kind of a a reversal of source. It's a reversal of of the blessing. If you're looking at Jacob, you're Thinking, you're thinking. This is this is not how this is supposed to work. I mean, you're supposed to be the promise bearer. You're supposed to be the one that has the promises and the one that's that's got all these things. And all of a sudden, it looks like it looks like uh, it looks like everything's good. You doing all right, Felicia?
1: Good, Harry. You were running
0: late. Sorry. Right. That's okay. I mean, that's all right. And so he is. Uh, he's going the opposite direction. And verse 11. Is that where we're at? 10, 11. Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran that's 10 and 11 and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set and he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep why did he stop in that place?
1: it was nighttime. (laughs) yeah it's
0: as simple as that I want you to make sure that you get this he stopped in that place the only reason because it's night he just needed a place to sleep there's nothing there there's absolutely nothing there. There's nothing there of any consequence. It's not like, ooh, this is a nice place. Let's stop here and said The only reason why he stops because he had to rest because it was night and there's no, you know, no flashlights, no street lights, no nothing. If the moon's not out. You can't see nothing. He he stops, probably take a break. It's 400 miles from the promised land, from Canaan, from Beersheba to Haran. So it's going to take a, a long time. He stops for the night, and this place is kind of desolate. If you look in that verse, verse 11, it's called simply a place three times. I mean, it doesn't doesn't use any name. A certain place, and tarried there all night because someone said he took the stones of that place and put them as pillars and laid down in that place. He he, he just caught he repeatedly is just calling it a, a, a place rather than the name of the place. Of course, we're going to find out the name of the place is Bethel is what he's going to call it. But uh, instead of using the name like the Moses does as the writer of Genesis over and over again, even before it's named that he'll call it that. In this in this instance, he just calls it this place. This this spot, I mean, it's basically like this desolate place. It's barren. There's nothing there. He's using a stone for a pillow. There's no no luxury there. There's no there's no there's no nothing. He is. Uh, you, must, you got a question? Yeah, on on the stones for the pillows. I always I looked at it as these you know these are throwing stones. These are these are defensive stones. Yeah, that's a lot of some commentaries have that in there. That uh, there's some that say. That's just the normal thing that people in the far, ancient era he's put there. I'm thinking he's, he's got some. some yeah, he's a uh, he's what he's saying is that he slept on a stone in case uh, something attacked him. You know, he's scared. He's and that's uh, it's very possible. You know, it's very possible. I've heard that before, and I I don't see any kind of I don't see anything wrong with thinking that because in this instance he's ta- he's scared. He's running. He thinks his brother's on his heels. He is out in the open. And he's all by himself. You travel with caravan, you know, you able to fend off animals or, or whatever. I mean, you're all alone. He's all alone. There's nothing there. There's no one with him. I mean, he is utterly alone. And you got to remember, at this point, you're, you're thinking, oh, Jacob, poor Jacob. It's Jacob's own fault. It's Jacob's own fault that he is is out there alone, that he is traveling, that he has to go uh, flee from his home because Esau wants to kill him. It's his own fault that he is, is doing that. But what I want you to see also with that is that it looks like in this instance, this is how it's going to apply to us, it looks like in this instance that the promises of God are not, are not working, are not working, are not uh, are, are not real, or, you know, they don't seem like they're going to be able to come to pass. Now, remember, even though he stole the blessing, the father, Isaac, came back and gave him the blessing of Abraham, the blessing of the family, the, you know, promised him, what he promised him, he promised him plenty and fullness uh, of stuff. He promised him uh, a great nation would come of him. He promised a blessing that all your brothers would be, you know, your servants. None of that looks like it's about it's going to be possible to happen. I mean, from that promise, you would think everything would be going good, but it nothing's good. I mean, really, he's had to leave home. He has nobody with him he's not prosperous he's not plentiful he doesn't have any i mean he he very well could die on this 400 mile journey to go stay with his uncle and so he, he it looks like None of the promises that were given to him by God uh, through Isaac are going to come to pass. He's come to a point where it just doesn't seem possible. Now, you need to make sure you understand. He has come to a place where it looks like God is not active, God's not working. I was promised this, you know, even though he's a deceitful scoundrel, you know, he had been given the promise of Abraham and Isaac, and it looked like if you, if you were him, and you were laying on the ground, about to lay your head on this stone, and you looked around, you would have said, I mean, what happened to the promise? What happened to your, what happened to your word? Where I mean, where are you? He's not, this is the most desolate place I can possibly imagine. God's not working here. And that is where God appears to him. And that's kind of the scene that y'all need to understand. There are times in your own life, you know, when you look around just say, everything's bad. Everything's bad. Everything's falling apart. The whole bottoms come out and you look around you God, I mean, it's like you're not even here. It's like, like you know you're...
1: time that happens, right after we submit our lives to God. It's like we're on this high, you know saved, God's blood is covered. You know, woo let the riches fall where they may. And that's when the bottom falls out from underneath you. If bad's gonna happen, it's really gonna happen right then. And that's, when I was reading this, that's all that kept coming to me, is how we get to a very lonely, desolate, what's the purpose of this place? And the mm-hmm. purpose is, is exactly where Jacob ends up in that he has to, become obedient as a servant to Christ. He has to, to God, to Christ, you know, he has to, he has to do it alone. It has to be given to him by God himself.
0: Yeah, that's right. And God's going to give it to him. Uh, The only thing I would make sure that you remember is Jacob is a scoundrel, man. He is not, he is not the man of faith that we know him to be yet. He will be, he will be. God will change him but he's not. He's not there yet. He's not there yet. But the point is that even now, even though Jacob, it's his own fault. And if I was God, be thankful I'm not God. But if I was God, I would have lightning bolted Jacob a long time ago. And I promise you, I would have burned him up at the end of this chapter. After this is over. But God is faithful to His word. God is faithful to His promise. Um, everything's bad. It's, he's alone. The promise looks like there's no hope. There's no way this promise is going to be fulfilled. Everything has just gone to pot. And that's when God appears to Jacob. In verse 12, it says, And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder. The words ladder, we would probably call it a staircase rather than, you know, like a ladder. We would probably see it as a kind of staircase. Um, He dreamed a ladder was set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven and behold the angels of god ascending and descending on it so the, get the picture in your mind. You got, you know, that's why as I say it's probably more like a staircase than a ladder because you got angels coming down, going up, going down, going up. Now, what you're seeing here is divine activity. You're seeing, remember, I can show you different places where angels are the ministering spirits of God. They're ministering. Uh, in Hebrews, it says it's for those uh, who've, or, who are, have salvation. And so these angels are, are doing God's work. They're doing His will. You see the the staircase, the ladder going up to heaven. And it's touching the earth right here at this place where Jacob's laying down. You got angels going back and forth, up and down the the uh, the, uh, the staircase, the the ladder. In verse thirteen, it says, "And behold, the Lord stood above it." And so, what I want you to see, and I'm going to prove this to you from the text as we walk through it a little bit more. But let me just give you the picture as we as we go into it. Is that. Even here the point is that even here in this barren place Jacob looks around and he sees nothing. He sees nothing that can even be remotely connected to the promise that has been given him. He sees God's not working around here. It's desolate, it's bad, everything's awful. I got to lay my head on a on a stone in order to protect myself. There's no protection, no comfort, no nothing. But even in this place Jacob can't see it. But God reveals to him that God is working. He's moving. I'm going to prove that to you, that interpretation, as we as we walk through it here. But that's what he is... That is the point that this vision is making, is that God is watching over his promise. God is working for his promise. Those angels uh, are ascending and descending. Are, they're not just getting exercise, doing a Stairmaster. You know, they're, they're doing God's work. They're coming and going, doing his work, working for his promise, working according to his will... And and they're doing it even in this barren place that looks. you look around and there's nothing there. When that, the blinders are taken off of Jacob and he, he sees what's going on, God is moving in this place. God is working for his promise, even in this place. And the promise that he gives is listed uh, through uh, verse uh, 13 through 15. It says, and it's basically the same promise we've seen over it again. It says, And behold, the Lord stood above it, that's the staircase, the ladder, and said, "I am the Lord, God of Abraham, thy father, the God of Isaac. He says, "The land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed, and to thy seed shall and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, the elements of that promise, where have we heard that before?
1: From
0: yeah, we've heard it over and over again in Genesis. That's the promise, right? I'm gonna give you the land. I'm gonna make you a great nation, and through you, all the earth's gonna be blessed. What is the New Testament interpretation of that promise? Through your seed, all the earth will be blessed. What did Paul say it was? Come on, y'all, to know, huh? Yes, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. Galatians chapter 3, he said that God preached beforehand the gospel to Abraham, saying, in you all nations will be blessed. That specifically is a promise of Christ bringing forth the salvation of all the nations, of all the world. And that is the interpretation that we get from Paul, the inspired apostle. And so we see that this promise is the same promise made to Abraham. It's the same promise passed to Isaac. We saw that it was passed to Jacob. But there's a question here. I mean, Jacob got it a little... He got it a little deceitfully. And so, is Jacob really the heir? Is he really the promised seed? Is he really the one? Because, let's face it, I mean, he's the worst of the worst. He acted just as bad as Esau did. He had done things wrong. He had kind of... Uh, stolen and lied and, and and done these things to get this promise. Um, he had received it from Isaac, but in this instance you have God himself speaking. You have God himself giving to Jacob the promise. He is in this desolate place. He's in this nowhere land, probably thinking, you know, the, the promise is, is a million miles away and there's no way it can be fulfilled. God reveals himself that his angels are ministering, working back and forth to aid that promise, to make sure that promise comes to pass. Even though when you look around, it's just desolate and it doesn't look like it's going to be able to happen, God speaks and gives him that promise. He starts off by identifying himself. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. And that calls back all the things that we've seen so far walking through Genesis. He's been faithful to Abraham. He's been faithful to Isaac. Even when they did stuff that was stupid. I mean even when they when when Abraham lied and said my wife is my sister, when Isaac did the exact same dumb thing, when they put the promise in jeopardy, God stepped in and God protected that promise and made sure that they bore the promise and that promise would come to pass in their lives. And by identifying himself as this, he he's saying, look, I'm the one that was with Abraham. I'm the one that was with Isaac. And the idea is that I'm going, to be, I'm going to be with you, even now when it seems impossible. And he gives, he gives Jacob Abraham's promise. In the 15, this is what he promises, and this is why I see the, the Jacob's ladder as the working of God, even in the desolate place. He says to Jacob, And behold, I am with thee. I'm with you. And he said, not only am I with you, but I will keep you in all places that you go. In all places where thou goest, and will bring thee again to this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. I promise. He's promised, I will be with you. I will fulfill the promise that I gave. Remember, I'm going to bring you back to this land. You're not, going to, you're not going to die out here. You're not going to die when you get to where you're going. I'm going to bring you back to this land. I'm going to fulfill my promise to you. And the really amazing promise is I'm going to be with you wherever you go. I know it looks like you're being forced out of the promised land. You're the promised seed being forced out of the promised land and I know it looks bad but you need to understand my promise isn't just tied to this boundary here. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you wherever it is that you go. Wherever you go, I'm going to be with you even in this place. This is man, to me, it's just a demonstration of God's grace Mm -hmm. because Jacob doesn't deserve God's promise. He doesn't deserve God to say, I'm going to be with you. He deserves God to destroy him. He has done, I mean, we've walked through that in the last couple chapters. He has lied, stolen, connived, done all he could and he's going to do even more than that here, you know, in just a little bit. So, you need to make sure you understand, Jacob is not seeking God. Jacob is not laying his head on the stone in the middle of the night, out in the middle of nowhere, going oh, I wish God would show up to me. Jacob's not seeking God. He's running for his life. He's trying to protect his own skin. And he's looking around going, yeah, all that work for the promise, and it don't even look like there's nothing much to it. It's God who seeks out Jacob. It's God who seeks him out. It's God who initiates the, the conversation. And I want you to see, before we talk about Jacob's Ladder and what it means, I, I want you to see that this whole episode is just—it's God's grace. I mean, it's God's grace. In verse, in verse 16, let me show you how what a what a what a goofball Jacob is. Jacob awoke out of his sleep, verse 16, and he said, "Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew not." Uh, he realized that God is God is here now. That's what we talked about earlier. That was one of the things that we said was it felt like God was absent. He was looking around saying, God's not here. This is a desolate place. This is nowhere. This is, you know, God's not working here. But he realizes after this, God shows him this picture of Jacob's ladder and speaks the promise to him. He says, God is here. God is here in this place. Even when you're desolate, even when you're in a desolate place and you're alone, God is with you. If you're a promise-bearer of God, and if you're in Christ, you are a promise-bearer of God. If you're a promise-bearer, then there is nowhere that you go that God is not with you. Even in the times where it seems that He's far away and that He's not listening, or things aren't going the way that you think they should go, or you can't see how He's working in a situation. If you're a promise-bearer of God, and you have the same promise that today, Uh, if you're in Christ than Jacob did because remember Paul said that this was the gospel that was being preached to Abraham. He says this promise just won't, it won't ever be nullified. God is faithful to his promise. He is faithful to his promise always. Now Jacob says, surely the Lord is in this place. I think Jacob doesn't get the point of what he, God has said. Because in the next verse, he also said, it says, and he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. The word dreadful there is from the same word that afraid is used from, Yara. And so, it's, it would be it would be like, it's not dreadful as in you're thinking, oh, this is a terrible place. That's what we think of the word dreadful. Um, the word is... <laughs> It probably means more like full of awe. It's an awful place. You know, when you say awful, you're thinking awful. But what I mean by awful is it's full of awe. It's it's uh, it's it's a. Um awesome that's a good word awesome it's an awesome place so it's not like he's saying this is a bad place this is a place of wonder you know when he when he stopped and he laid down it was just a desolate nowhere it was a nowhere place out in the middle of nowhere darkness rock for the pillar it was just you know nothing nothing at all he says but he realizes now that god is in this place And uh, God is in this place, and it is an awesome place. But I think that he misses the point, because it wasn't about this place being, oh, you've you've stumbled on to where God's at. The point of the promise was, I'm going to be with you wherever that you go. Wherever you go, you know, I'm going to bring you back to the land. I'm going to do the point was not, hey, you just lucked up and got to this place, that's the gate of God here, this house of God, and he's going to name it the house of God. Bethel means the house of God. And so uh he he is um, he He doesn't seem to get the point. He calls it the house of God, which means where God dwells. He calls it the gate of God. This is where there's access to God. You know, so he what he does is he in verse eighteen and nineteen, he, he, he makes this altar and starts to worship, and this is a good thing. And Jacob rose up early in the morning, took the stone that he had put for his pillows, set it up for a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. That's to sanctify it as a sacrifice. And uh, he called the name of that place Bethel, which means the house of God. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. Now you're thinking, okay, Jacob's got it. I mean he's he's understanding. He he doesn't quite understand it totally because really he thinks this is like a maybe a special place now rather than understanding the promise was I'm going to be with you wherever you go, but you think he's got it. And then this guy is going to reveal his heart again. I mean he's going to reveal faithlessness. He's going to reveal he's going to reveal something that you and I exhibit all the time. In verse 19 or 20, 21 and 22, Jacob Instead of falling to his knees and saying, God, I didn't realize that you were, you know, whatever. I'm going to trust you no matter what. I'm going to follow you. He tries to bargain. He bargains with God. He says, And Jacob vowed a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in the way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace. He says, Then shall the Lord be my God. Now, does that sound like a prayer of faith to you? No. Now, there are a lot of commentators, a lot of scholars, a lot of preachers that say, well, this is just phrased weird, but Jacob really means he's worshiping. I just can't see it that way. I can't see it that way because, to be honest, whenever any of us try to bargain with God like that, You demonstrate not only a lack of faith, but a lack of understanding of who God is because you don't have anything to bargain with. You You know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to, this would be like, you know, my son, Jacob, coming up to me and saying, Dad, I've decided that if you will let me have your truck, you know, he's all about new vehicle now, he wants a vehicle. If you'll let me have your truck, I promise I will obey you. (laughs) <laughs> you're kind of offering me something that you really that you already owe me. You know what I mean? You're not. You're not. A, you, that's not a good deal for me. You know, I've used this illustration before. Like if you go to your boss and say, you know, I'm getting paid five hundred dollars a week, you pay me six hundred. I promise I'll come in on time every day. You know. <laughs> No, no. You're, you're bargaining with something I already own. You know, well, I, you're know, you not giving me anything out of this deal. And that's the point. Jacob is saying, Well, Lord, if you do this, and if you do that, and if you do this, and do that, do that, do he said, Then you'll be my God. Well, Jacob, I don't care if he does it or not. He's supposed to be your God anyway. Right. You're supposed to be faithfully obeying the God of the universe who created you and gave you breath and is giving your lungs breath right now and causing your heart to keep beating. I mean, he's... He's already done enough for you that you you owe him your obedience and your faith. Jacob is trying to make a deal with God here. He is, he is putting stipulations on God. Well, i tell you what, God, I'm going to put you to the test. You know, I've seen your, your ladder. I've seen the angels going up and down your ladder. That's pretty and everything. He said, I've heard your voice. I've heard you give me the promises. If you come through on those promises, well, then you'll be my God. Then I'll follow you. Then I'll trust you. Then I'll obey you. He's bargaining rather than trusting God. He is, I mean, this is the same old Jacob. I mean, he's, this is not anybody different than what we've seen over and over again. He's still the liar, the conniver, the schemer, trying to get the best, trying to get over on people. He's just turned his attention toward God now. If you'll just do all this stuff for me, I promise, then you'll be, you'll be my God. Why in the world is God putting up with this guy? For his glory. For his glory. That's right. No, that's a, that's right.
1: But he had already promised that Jacob
0: would be. He did. In
1: the in the line. He did.
0: He promised that he the. Promised that when they were in
1: the womb. When
0: they were in the womb, the elder would serve the younger. So he's keeping his word.
1: God is faithful. I mean, he's faithful to
0: what he said. He's faithful to his word. Absolutely. And
1: in the end, it's is to bring us back. Into Fellowship. I mean,
0: in, in Christ. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, all I know is y'all thank your lucky stars that I ain't God. Amen. Because I. What'd you say, boy? <clears throat> <laughs> I'll pick somebody else. You know, I mean, after all this, I promise, I promise, I'm going to help you. I'm going to get you through You're the You're the promise bearer. You're the whatever. Got Jacob looking up at God. Well, okay, if you do what you said you're going to do, then maybe I'll make you my. I'll. Yeah, <sighs> how who do you think you are, boy? But don't don't we do that all the time? I mean, don't we do that all I mean we do it all the time. We bargain with God with things that we don't have to bargain with after he's given us life and breath and he's been faithful all of our lives and done all these things for us and then when the time comes and we want something we say God if you'll just do this for me I promise I'll... How many of y'all have ever prayed that prayer? God if you'll just do this I will whatever. Now think about what you promised. Is that something that you already owed him? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's something that you already owe. Because you owe him you owe him everything. You owe him your trust and your faith and your obedience. You owe him the fellowship of the saints. You owe him you owe him everything. Yes, sir. It's like the foxhole prayer. The foxhole prayer. If you'll get me out of this deal. The reality is we should be in such a relationship with God that it's okay to pray in the foxhole. It's okay to pray when you have a need. It's okay, God, please help me. But we should be in such a position that we have already given our lives to him. We we don't I don't have anything. I mean, I can always do better. We're all sinful. We're all being sanctified daily as we go through our lives. So there are things that we need to improve and there's things that we need to But there's nothing that we have to bargain. With, If you do this for me, I'll give you this. Because everything that we have is already his. It's already. And Jacob, what we see here is that it's same old dude. Same old Jacob. Same old Jacob. Now, what I want you to see here, turn over with me real quick. And we'll end to John chapter 1, verse 45. And I'm going to show you how Jesus interprets Jacob's ladder. And Miss Judy, this will answer your question. John chapter one, verse forty-five. Let's start in verse forty-four. This is the picture of the disciples. The disciples are being gathered, and Jesus is you know picking them out and all that, and he's calling people to himself. Um, Philip, <coughs> Philip and Nathaniel. This is the story of Philip and Nathaniel. Now I want you to listen for these pictures. It says, in verse 44, it says, Now Philip was of uh, Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip finded Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nathanael's doubting. Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. The word guile is deceit. Same thing. Nathanael said unto him, How you know me? Whence thou knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. When you were alone. When you were alone out in the middle of nowhere, I saw you. Nathanael answered, obviously Nathanael knew what he was talking about, and said, unto him Rabbi thou art the son of God thou art the king of Israel Nathanael now believes and Jesus answers and says to him because I said unto thee I saw thee under the fig tree believest thou thou shalt see greater things than this and he said to him verily verily I say unto you hereafter from now on you'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on Jacob's ladder is that what it says what does it say the son of man the angels ascending and Jacob looked and he saw a staircase, a ladder. And he saw the angels ascending and descending on this ladder, showing God's work between heaven and earth to keep his promise. Nathaniel comes along. This is an Israelite who was out in the middle of nowhere. We don't know what he was praying for or what he was doing under the fig tree because it's not told to us. But based on what Jesus says, I get the idea. And this is just me thinking out loud. You can take it or leave it. It's not, not scripture. Uh... I think that Nathanael was in the same spot that Jacob is. He was maybe praying, maybe doubting, maybe wondering well, where God is, why is this happening. Jesus says, I saw you, I was with you when you were under the fig tree. And that, just by saying I was with you, he, he, that is enough for Nathanael to say, you heard me. You heard my prayer. You're the Holy One of Israel. And he says, not only are you going to see this, he says, but you're going to see the heavens open. You're going to see the vision that Jacob saw. You're going to see the heavens open and you're going to see the angels descending and ascending on not Jacob's ladder, not a staircase to heaven, but on the Son of Man. You're going to see Jesus is the house of God, the place where God dwells. Jesus is the gate of heaven. That's what Jacob called it. Jesus is... The access point to heaven. And in, in Christ, all of these promises that we've seen through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, down through David, Solomon, all the way down through 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 time, all these promises of God are fulfilled and worked out in Christ. And that's what he means when he sees, when he sees the angels ascending and descending. He's saying, I'm the one that all this was pointing to. You're going to see God fulfilling his work through me, does that make sense?
1: Yes.
0: Y'all with me? Any questions, comments? So Jacob's ladder, Miss Judy, is Jesus. Yeah,
1: I read your outline, and I, you know, I was just wondering what you were going to say, how you were going to teach it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: that we could grab
0: it. Yeah, Jesus has Jesus interpreted the vision for us, as He is the fulfillment. The Jacob's Ladder, the point of Jacob's Ladder, let me put it to you this way and then we'll close. Jacob's Ladder, the point of Jacob's Ladder was God is working for his promise. Even when you look around and you see nothing but desolation and heartache and you don't know how the promise is going to be fulfilled and it's your own stupid sin that got you into that predicament, God is still working to be faithful to his promise and the fulfillment of that working to be faithful to his promise is the Son of Man, is it's Christ in his death and resurrection. And so, the point of this chapter, point of Genesis 20, 28, the Jacob's ladder, Bethel, and J- Jacob's going to return to Bethel later. Uh, The point is that if you are a promise bearer of God, I use that term because that's what we would characterize Jacob as, the bearer of the promise. We are bearers of the promise in Christ when we're saved, when we're born again. If you're a promise bearer of God, even if you look around and everything's bad and you you don't understand how life has turned out this way and you don't understand where God's working, you can rest assured that, that behind the scenes in the spiritual world, there are angels for lack of a better way to put it, ascending and descending, doing God's will because he is working for the good of those who are called according to his purpose and who love him and are called according to his purpose. And he is always going to be faithful to his promise. And that faithfulness is culminated in Christ. Jesus is the God that stands at the top of the ladder looking down, speaking the promise but Jesus is also the God that took on human flesh and came down and stood right next to Jacob to fulfill, to fulfill that promise. We're going to see Jacob wrestle with uh, what he calls the angel of God. We're going to see it's the son of man later. Uh, but he is the God that, that gives the promise, that orchestrates the promise and that came and gave his life to, to fulfill that promise. Y'all with me? Any questions? Yes, yes, he is. I, did I skip reading that? I don't seem like I read that. Oh, I'm still in John. Sorry. Yes, he is. The. Uh, let me turn back and I'll read it. It seemed like I skipped over that. 28, Jacob bowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat, raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God, and this stone which I have set for a pillow shall be the God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, which is important, it's not my stuff, it's what God has given me, he says, I will surely give a tenth of unto thee. You'll see that over and over again and I think that the the first time you see a tithe in the scripture is not in the Old Testament law, the law of Moses where so many people think it comes from. It actually came from when Abraham gave a tenth to the Melchizedek. 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 And so it predates the law, it predates the law of Moses, predates those things. And what he's doing here is he is giving the word tithe means a tenth. I mean, that's the definition of the word. He is giving. Notice what it says. He's not saying, he's not saying, I'm going to give ten percent of my stuff because really you don't have any stuff I'm going to give 10 of what God has given me and that's the point of what we see here Jacob Jacob is filled with promises of things that he doesn't own, he's filled with promises of things. You know, I'm going to make the Lord my God. Well, you're supposed to already be doing that anyway. If you be good to me, then I'll give you a tenth. Well, you're supposed to already be doing that anyway. Yeah. You know, and it's so the the deal is that Jacob is Jacob is uh, bargaining with God about things that God is already owed. You understand? Y'all with me? So he's bargaining with God saying, I'm going to give you some things that you already are owed, uh, but I want some reward for the things that I give you that you're already owed. You understand? Make sense? And remember, Jacob don't have anything. He has, he's going to come back a wealthy man. He's going to come back from Laban's a wealthy man. But at this point, he has absolutely zero Everything that he is going to receive, just like the New Testament tells us, every good and perfect gift comes from above, he's going to receive from God. So it's only right. I mean, it's only, it's only now, it's like, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything that you give me, like that's some kind of big thing, when really, I mean, you owe that Jacob. You didn't have. I mean, you're you're sleeping on a rock, dude. You didn't have anything. So the point is that Jacob is just the biggest scoundrel as he always has been. He's just a big uh, faithlessness. He doesn't have any faith whatsoever. He's bargaining with God that I'm gonna I'll do all this stuff for you, God, after you fulfill your promise to me. And so we see that God is faithful even in the midst of Jacob's faithlessness. Make sense? Okay, any other questions? All right, let's pray and then we'll go. Father, we love you. (coughs) Excuse me. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your (coughs) word. Thank you for all that you've given us, Lord. We pray that you would watch over us today and that you would.